Chris Biddle and welcome to Inside AgriTurf. Hello and welcome to episode 29 and first if I may a couple of production announcements. First, my planned guest for this week's episode has had to withdraw at the last moment due to family issues. But this episode on the importance of mentors and mentoring is to be rescheduled as soon as possible. Second, this initial season of Inside AgriTurf podcasts, which I launched at the back end of last year, has already exceeded the number of episodes that I had planned for season one. So I will be pausing the recording schedule for a few weeks after Easter in order to plan the content of Season 2, which will be kicking off again in May. So thank you to everyone who has got in touch to comment on the episodes or suggest people or topics they would like to see featured. Inside AgriTurf is a specialist podcast aimed at a niche audience. Nonetheless, it is building up nicely. During the past six weeks, we've added 537 new listeners. So that's almost 90 new people downloading the episodes each week. So a very big thank you to you all. So I thought maybe this would be an opportunity for a little reflection. This year, 2021, marks my 60th year in the agriturf industry, which started with me working for Ford Tractors in 1961 as a demonstrator based at the iconic Boreham House in near Chelmsford, which included operating a driverless Ford Super Dexter, which was way ahead of its time. And if you are curious, well, why don't you check out a short two-minute video on YouTube that I made during a demonstration tour to Spain. Just search for Fordson in Spain. So that 60-year journey has included work experience at St Andrew's Golf Links with Ransom Scotland, managing a garden machinery retail branch in Wiltshire, spending time in Australia distributing rover mowers to the UK, some years as an agricultural machinery salesman with a dealer, been appointed managing director of a multi-branch farm machinery dealership and later been a casualty of a takeover. In 1988, I launched Service Dealer magazine, followed by Turf Pro magazine in 1998, which I subsequently sold and which have gone from strength to strength under new owners and, and of which I'm intensely proud. I edited Landwords, the professional journal for the Institution of Agricultural Engineers, IAGRI, from 2007 to 2019. And oh yes, ran a guest house in Weymouth with my wife for several years. So with this hodgepodge of experience, my lockdown learning project last year was to teach myself podcast production and audio editing. I set up my office at home as a very rudimentary studio and launched Inside AgriTurf. And so there's got to be something there about old dog and new tricks. And so I was tempted to have called this episode, How the Hell Did I Get From There to Here? Instead, I prefer to recall an old saying from my elders and betters back in the day, mind your P's and Q's. Now that came from an age when good manners were important, but now seem to be somewhat lacking. 
That might seem to be a little bit of my old foginess kicking in, but manners have deteriorated over the years, and that may be due to the unrestrained and instant use of social media, which is so effective when used responsibly, but is distractive in the hands of those who want to fling insults and falsehoods under a cloak of anonymity. Incidentally, I've always taken the line that I would not post anything on social media that I would not put in print. People who do so don't appreciate they are actually in the publishing business, have many have found out to their embarrassment or cost. So anyway, back to mind your P and Qs. There is no historical confirmation of what the P or the Q stood for. Some say it's please and thank you. Others suggested it as a guide to children writing the letter Q, which is an, an inverted P, rather like B and D. And another theory is that it was a reminder to early day tavern owners to keep a correct tally of pints and quarts served. So you can take your pick. But no matter. For manufacturers and suppliers, it might well stand for products and quantity. But for me... And the rationale behind me launching the Inside AgriTurf podcast, there is no doubt that the P and Q stands for people and quality. We are often described as a people business. For let's face it, the products we sell and service are only a means to an end. They facilitate the production of food, the appearance of gardens, the upkeep of open spaces, playability of golf courses, sports grounds and stadiums, and the care of forests and wooded areas. Of course, the quality and suitability of the products themselves are of vital importance. But the industry's driving force lies in the people who design, manufacture, test, sell and support those products. Now, in the short time I've been producing these podcasts, I've been constantly educated and inspired by the resourcefulness, vision, clear thinking and creativity of my guests from across the AgriTurf community, be they manufacturer, supplier or dealer. We are an unheralded industry, flying under the radar of public recognition. We rarely get the level of media coverage that might be afforded to high-profile industrial sectors such as aviation, automotive, construction, marine and so on. And that's generally because the size of our community. But make no mistake, we punch above our weight and it is often said that we really don't appreciate how good we are. It often takes outsiders to put our contribution into perspective when they peer into our world. If there was one moment that knocked my socks off, as they say, it was from my guest Will Foster, who had joined an agricultural machinery dealership from the army in his early 40s. During my conversation in the episode From Tanks to Tractors, Will talked about his route into the industry and described how he had obtained some early work experience in a branch of the Ben Burgess dealership. I went along, uh, was like bedazzled by all the glitz and glamour that was uh, what they gave me uh, and I was like yeah I really like this um, and this is where I'm glad that I've chosen this path and this is where I'm going to be heading. Now let me play those first words once again. I went along uh, was like bedazzled by all the glitz and glamour that was uh, what they gave me. 
And we should put this now into context. Will had come into agricultural engineering from his previous role as a senior trainer and instructor on Challenger tanks at Bovington Camp in Dorset, tanks which incidentally cost upwards of £4 million and powered by Perkins V12 engines developing 1,200 brake horsepower with admittedly more firepower than the largest tractor on the market. And yet Will says that he was bedazzled by the glitz and glamour of the tractor and machinery business. Now I'm not sure I've ever heard our industry described in such terms, but they were not made up by a slick advertising agency for a promotional video with a soundtrack of sweeping violins. They were the immediate reaction of someone with considerable experience in the forces who had seen action in the theatres of war and who had been the last to utter any BS. But Will didn't use them just to describe the products he would be working on. He talked extensively about the welcome he received from colleagues, about the often irreverent banter, much as that of he would have experienced in the forces, and the acceptance by customers for a 40-year-old stepping into a new world, but with a fascinating backstory to tell. During the making of these podcasts, I found that our industry is full of people who have individual tales to tell about how they found the agriturf machinery industry, and often by chance. So the question is, how do we bottle that to present to the outside world? Several of my guests have talked about how agricultural engineering was a complete mystery to those dishing out careers advice at school. It would be nice, wouldn't it, if we could attend national and regional skills competitions and careers fairs with a major promotional presence, but that would involve considerable cost and a level of logistical support which I don't think we are big enough as an industry to undertake. And so we come down to the method of communication that many dealers find so effective, that of word of mouth. And it doesn't really matter how this word of mouth is transmitted. It can be verbal, written, social media, or taking the opportunity to speak to groups, particularly groups of young people. Those of us in this industry know how satisfying it is, what rewards it provides, and not only monetarily, how it supports so much of essential living, whether it be food production or the care of sporting facilities, and topically, how it must continue through times of national and international crises, such that we are in the midst of at present, for the seasons never stop. And there is another very satisfying element to our industry, which is of particular relevance to the dealer sector. We operate essentially a family-owned business model, which is prob possibly as strong as most other service sectors in this country. For years, those who built their dealer companies, many of them pre- or post-war, have pondered the question, will our children or grandchildren want to follow in our footsteps? Now, I do not have definitive data on this, but just look around and you will see dozens of long-established dealerships, many of them now multi-branch, multi-million pound operations, run by second, third or fourth generations. So why should this be? What has prompted a real interest in families continuing the work that their fathers or forefathers started? 
Principally, it must be to do with technology, as machinery and equipment has adopted more and more innovative engineering solutions, whether it be in the field of robotics, electronics, power sources, guidance systems, and so on. And alongside that, new communication systems. And remember that Tim Berners-Lee only gave birth to the internet in the late 1980s, just over 30 years ago. The pace of change in recent years has been nothing short of astonishing and it needed younger, agile minds to put it into practice, something that the entrepreneurs of yesteryear would have struggled with. Today's younger generation cannot believe we grew up in an age without mobile phones, social media or the internet. The new generation family members quickly identified ways in which they could usefully contribute to ensuring that businesses, yes traditional businesses, use new technology to meet the demands of today's market. Nor have they been afraid to bring in new talent with new skills into the business in a way that perhaps their fathers might not have done so in the past. Of course, where you have businesses underpinned with a strong family ethos, you have different dynamics to the public sector or to the corporate world. There is the pride in the name being above the door, and there is an innate loyalty to staff and a principal aim to put food on the table of employees rather than money in the pocket of investors. Family businesses, the private sector, feel things much more personally, which is why decisions take by, taken by corporates for strategic reasons are felt much more keenly, particularly those which impact negatively on their business. They expect to be treated fairly and with understanding, even if the action is business-threatening, which is why, of course, there was so much angst and criticism of Honda recently when they arbitrarily removed their franchise from dealers without prior notice, consultation or dialogue. Dealers who had invested heavily in their products over the years were given the shove without a nod of acknowledgement or even a cursory thank you. To most, it was not the way that you should conduct business, except in some cases it obviously is. Now whether the family business model is sustainable long term, only time will tell. In a much bigger market like the US, there are several publicly quoted dealer groups. The biggest, Titan Machinery, has over 90 branches, including some in Europe. And operating a growing dealership these days is financially challenging, and manufacturer-owned dealerships are still a possibility. But for the foreseeable future, the family business is here. It is effective and most importantly, it is what most farmers or consumers seem to prefer. Of course, the manufacturer-dealer relationship is always under scrutiny. There are tensions, there are times when the parties are at odds and it is an inescapable fact that when there is a party in other ways, the bigger corporation might suffer a brief hiccup whilst the impact on the family-owned and funded dealership can be extremely serious and damaging. So to misquote a famous book, Manufacturers Are From Mars, Dealers From Venus, yes, they are in the same business, but their thinking and modus operandi can be quite different. Nonetheless, it works. We are fortunate that in this agriturf industry, people still talk. They understand one another to a large degree and they do accept that 
we are all in this thing together. And finally, it is important that you are clear about the whole purpose of your business, which brings me to mission statements. A hopefully short and succinct phrase intended to sum up why you are in business. I lost count of the times when I was editing Service Dealer and visiting a manufacturer to be greeted with the dreaded mission statement, which often only served to state the bleeding obvious. I was therefore drawn to the newest mission statement outlined by Agco's new CEO, Eric Hansiota, who took up his post earlier this year. In his opening address, he summarised it as follows. Agco's strategy is custom-built to place farmers at the centre of everything we do. Deeply understanding our customers' needs and aligning our business to meet and exceed their expectations will deliver sustainable stakeholder value and help secure the global food supply for future generations. And that was the short summary. So, loads of ambition there, confirming that as a leading farm machinery manufacturer, their priority is the farmer. And they managed to include that dreaded phrase, exceed their expectations, which I'm told by pretty every company as I hold on the phone to speak to yet another recorded voice. So, what about an ideal dealer mission statement? You know, I really can't improve on the one relayed to me by former dealer and BAGMA president Jerry Cohen, who summed up the dealer mantra perfectly in just 11 words. I sell products that don't come back to people who do. That's perfect. I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me, and this is Inside AgriTurf.